Welcome to the Modern Savage Podcast. This is episode five. My guest today is my friend Nate Norfolk, sommelier and director of Wine and Spirits at Ray's Wine and Spirits in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. All right, so tell me some more about this wine that we're drinking. All right, because this is going to be that podcast where people are drinking, so it's going to be all the like, oh, the lip smack absolutely. and everything. So, Try not to brush so the glass is, up against the mic while we're doing it. This is Chambol Mousini. Okay. So that's the village that it's from. Okay. It's in the the Cote d'Or in Burgundy. Okay. So it's the, kind of the, the it's, in, it's in the Cote d'Ouy specifically in the Cote d'Or in Burgundy. And then Le Charme is the the vineyard, which... For people that have no idea oh, what yeah, we're talking call, about, good call, break good it call. down. Because okay. when, when I first started getting into this, uh-huh. it was... You know, what is the appellation? Oh, it's bad. And, and like all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. So let's say that someone is looking at a bottle of wine and they have no idea. Fair play. Yeah. How yeah, does yeah, someone yeah. with no background on this come to have at least a rudimentary understanding? Boy. Um... <laughs> well, let, let's think about this first. There's This is what's always hard about French wines, I think, for a lot of people, is that it's all about place, you know, and, and especially when we get into wines from, from Burgundy specifically. The wines come down to the the vineyard they're right. in, and sometimes even to a point like like someone might just own an extremely small section of that vineyard, or even less. Exactly. Like, yeah. So to start out, with, it's this this wine is is Pinot Noir, mm-hmm. as is the overwhelming majority of red Burgundy wines are Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. So. We don't know that from the label, but from the, the from, in this village in this area of France, if you're gonna label the wine from this village, which is called Chambol Moussini, if you're gonna label it that, it has to be 100% Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people appreciate how specific or regulated French wines are. Like, yeah, it, like that's something, and it's unique, I think, country to country. Mm. But that's. Something if if it says something in France, it has to meet strict criteria as far as one, what is the actual wine itself, like mm-hmm. what is the grape, or how is it blended, and then exactly what part of what village in what appellation, and 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 it breaks down like it yeah. gets pretty. It gets yeah nuanced. Yes, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. And and I think Burgundy is probably the the in a lot of ways people would say, um, even though really we're just dealing with typically almost. Always, the red grapes are Pinot Noir, and the white grape is is Chardonnay almost exclusively. There's still just this rich tapestry of, you know, dozens of villages and hundreds upon hundreds of different vineyards. And it's, I think the I think what's hard for just the average consumer out there is that the, um, you know, we always say I always think of like what's the entry the entry fee is really high. That's what I think is hard about French wine in general, Burgundy specifically. But once you get into it, and this is interesting because I always think like there's a subject of appreciation to wine too. Sure. You know, and kind of like, <laughs> you know, when I first met you, I was like, this is an intense dude. <laughs> first person to say that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was like, this is an intense dude. But you were somebody that would ask, you, you were really, you wanted there wasn't just a binary answer for you. Right. you know what I mean, you really wanted to dig. Well, I think that what really drew level. me, because I didn't grow up with wine, right? Yeah, wine n- is neither something, did I. Yeah, wine is totally. something I came yeah. to through my wife. Mm-hmm. But 
what fascinates me with anything is the story. It's the story yeah. of whatever. It could be a chair. This chair was made yeah. by this, you know, wood maker, and it was made in New England in this yeah. year. And what? And it's okay. The chair by itself is interesting, mm-hmm. but the story behind the chair is what makes it fascinating. And that's the same with the wine too. And one of the things that I think is so fascinating, as far as particularly with French wines that I have developed, a, you know, a certain appreciation for, is that it's the soil. Yeah. That's what people yeah. don't really understand. Yeah, 100%. The grape is a, a, is a vehicle yeah. to taste what's in the soil. Yeah. And that's why you can have people like, well, how can you have mm-hmm. one vineyard on one side of mm-hmm. this road and another vineyard yeah. on another side of this road and they don't make the same wine? Yeah. And you say, because the soil here is not the same as the soil here. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it really is. And that's what I think that that's... Um... I mean, that's why I never get bored with it, too. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like that's why, I like, I mean, I guess I could go, you know, sometimes I'm like, fuck, I hate dealing with people. <laughs> you know, or like, oh, my God, the people that are into wine are the worst. You know, I'm like, what? Well, but I, there is that, too. There yeah, is that, too. Tot- there is an insufferable Totally, totally. And then I think, like, the what could I do? Thing. I was like, I guess I'm in, I have all these other interests, you know, like, I can't be a cartographer. I'm kind of too old for that now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not really going to, you know, I think all those things are like, nobody needs more existential philosophers. You know what I mean? Or like, maybe I could sell houses, right? And it's like, eh, you know, no, but I'm interested in the wine. Just how like did you. you get into it as someone who didn't grow up with it? Because yeah. how does someone with really not a, oh, a background of it get into it, but then also yeah. take it to the point where, I mean, let's be honest, like, you are you are an expert in this field. You really are. Yeah, I'm, and that's that's not a short road to take. And also to be also so as well versed as you are as far as like spirits or anything else. I mean, uh-huh. you got the full gambit down. Well, I you know I didn't. This is was pretty obvious that this was more important to me than college was. Okay, hey, good for that. <laughs> you know, I mean, after like you know when I was after I was five years into the college game, you know, and I was, and I was really, uh, I, 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 by chance, friends of mine worked in a wine shop on the East side. Okay. And I just needed a job. I just needed a job. Okay. You know what I mean, and I was like, uh, like journalism slash, you know, philosophy slash, you know, English. I was just doing the humanities thing. Right. Like, with with without really kind of rudderlessly (laughs) you know in a very like in the true like bohemian renaissance man kind of way and plus i'd always been like a heat i'd been a hedonist you know or or at least of them are yeah exactly you know and and like it was it was like all of my interests once i started getting to wine i was like oh man all of this is like all of my interests segue into this and it's a way for me to make a living you know, and it was it was all of those things. Um, it, yeah, it was it was all of the above. And I think that I can remember. I mean, I remember some of the first wines that I was like, I don't remember the brand, but definitely, you know, like I realized like I I I had an affinity for it out of the gate. And I'd had I'd worked for a guy in a used. I grew up in Racine. Okay. And I worked for a guy in a used bookstore who had a really modest wine collection right okay. and he had like he had like 82 bordeaux and he, he had good stuff mm-hmm. and he had like 
he he once a girl once I went you know I was taking a girlfriend out and he was like Nate you know here you know and it was a um it was a Pichon Lalonde and it was 82 which is insane like to this day wow like it's crazy it's a wine that's worth probably a few hundred you know then in the late 90s a few hundred dollars much more now and he gave that to me and I remember pulling the cork and you know Kathy Strobach who's now a you know you're a lawyer in Miami, whatever, wherever you are. I don't think either of us realized, like, I was like, oh, this is just different. Right. You know, and it was like, fl- like I'd had wine before, but, but I, I'd like, I'd never, I'd never had like fine wine before. And that was, a. it sounds so snobby that, you know, I drank in like box wine and like, you know, other stuff like this up to that time. But that I knew it was different and yeah. I didn't catalog it. I didn't understand how important it was, but I kept the cork. Yeah. You know, and then two years later, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll work at the liquor store. And it's funny, and I was when I when I started the job at the liquor store, the wine shop, that what's now Downer Wine and Spirits on the east side, which is really in and of itself is like per square foot is a pretty amazing place. It really it's about a thousand square feet and packs in probably about a thousand wines. It's a, it's serious and I I love the aesthetic of it, the whole nine yards. But I really wasn't. I was on a kick where I was like, I ran. Mm-hmm. I didn't smoke. I was. I was really serious about college, mm-hmm. you know. And I just worked there part time. And slowly but surely, Tom Vaughn, who owned the store at the time, kind of lived in California in the '80s, came back here, and this was the small business he owned. And he was really passionate about it. And he just knew I loved, you know, history, philosophy, <laughs> you know. And I and he knew I was really into geography, like crazy, crazy about it, you know? And he just brought me into the fold and let me taste stuff. And this is just, yeah. I think that people don't appreciate the fact that all those things are tied together with wine. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, all of those yeah. things. Yeah. The, I mean, hi- the history, or but also like the romanticism. Oh, to this day, I get, I get like, I get like goosebumps just, just how excited. <laughs> and you go to some stupid, of these places. Yeah. Well, it's not yeah. at all stupid. I yeah. think it's, you know, one of the things that I really have come to love about wine, but also like some of like the distilleries is that it forces you to slow down. Yeah, sure. No one 100%. who loves like a good 100%. glass of wine or a good glass of beer yeah. or a good glass of whiskey is like, I'm going to race through this. I'm going to pound this down as fast as I can. It doesn't yeah. matter what your particular poison might be. You go to some place like go to Buffalo Trace or go to Bordeaux or like yeah. go to some, you know, really top-notch breweries and sit mm-hmm. down and have them pour you a glass of what it is that they do there. You want to take your time. You want to sort of slow it down and you want to really sort of examine what's in your glass. And as you do that, you begin to discover all of these different levels to what you're actually drinking. And then, for me anyway, I, I am compelled to ask, like, this is someone, This is art. Like, someone's 100%. putting, like, liquid art in a glass, and I get to drink it. Like, I want to know about that. Like, the creative yeah. process. Oh, for sure. And I think that it's interesting because I don't, I don't think – I think there's a group – I'll I'll use us in the really you know in the in the most basic sense. I think there's there's the person out there that pays the pre wants to pay the premium for the story. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, and and that that but that's part of the that's that's just it it's it, they're inseparable. Absolutely, they're inseparable. Well, and just like, don't bore me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And again, it goes back to like mm-hmm. my well-known mm-hmm. intolerance for mediocrity. 
Yeah. Like, why, if you have the opportunity yeah. to listen to an amazing story or a boring story, would you choose a boring uh, sure. story, right? 100%. It's like you sit down next yeah. to that guy in the bar yeah. and he starts talking and you're mm-hmm. like, cool story, bro. Like, <laughs> you're just like, what? You just, you know, next. But then there's mm. someone who tells you about, you know, that time that they went sailing, you know, around Tierra del Fuego. That's a story I'll that's listen to. That's a story to. I would listen to, too. So yeah. I think that that's one of the things that, that I have found through, like, wine and the learning of it, but also, like, yeah. the, the viticulture. Not yeah. just the finished product, but the how did we get there pro- yeah. you know, process. Oh, completely. It's 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 mind blowing to me. I mean, sometimes sometimes I love like the history and and the the geography of it and like like the people behind it, but but sometimes the science of it can be fa- completely is completely fascinating. And then, um, man, I'm trying not to to to. Sorry, I've been I've been doing some deep dives into like Simone de Beauvoir and like. Sartre Dive away. And, and Hegel lately. So like, I don't, I think the, be- when it's really, it's most beautiful, like we can't, you know, we can't separate the objective and the subjective of it. They're, they're really, the appreciation of it is, is both things as is food, you know, as is anything that we're, we're very, are serious hobbies to people. Where is I going at with this? Well, I think that hobbies, it goes beyond hobbies. It's yeah. sort of, it has a chance to like reach inside you and touch something deeper. It's a very evocative. Yeah. Right. For sure. And it, and it provides maybe a deeper, if, if at times intangible enjoyment of life. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's, it's interesting because for me, it's been, a v- and talking about this one specifically, I was thinking, Oh man, I got to bring something really cool. Cause we can, and I, and I was like, it's gotta be like an old, you know, an old world wine. And right. there were some German things I have too, but I'm like, it's funny because I, I actually prize those probably more than I do some of the red, red burgundy wines, you know, especially if something's old and I've just gotten down to my last bottle of it. But this wine specifically, you know, there's, there's the history of this part of Burgundy, which is called the Cote de Nuit. This village is Chambol, and in the 18, this is conjecture here, sometime in the late 19th century, the most famous vineyard in the town was Muzani, right? And they're like, shit, man, everybody wants the Muzani, but we just live in this village called Chambol, and all, there's all these other wines. Oh, we'll just change the name of the town to Chambol Muzani. <laughs> so it's like there's a marketing aspect of, it, sure. of it too, man, you know? And... There's, so this is a small, this is really a small, small, small operation. Like a few hundred people live in this town, but the guy that makes this wine, I can't remember his last name. It's like Manur is his first name and he's Lebanese and it's, oh God, I should know it, but it's, it's escaping me right now. But anyways, he, he started this winery in the late nineties and he doesn't own any land. He just buys, he's what we call a negotiant. So he buys finished he buys grapes and turns it into wine himself in an extremely small room in bone in the heart of burgundy and i don't think the the winery is called lucien lemoyne i don't think he makes more than 300 cases of anything it's like that small and it's all all the racking when we move the barrels around it's all done by hand and it's um and he uses very, very minimum sulfur. It's like it's like wine in the old school way of wine. Like this is 2011 vintage. This is a 10 year old wine. It doesn't, 
Yeah. I mean, that, I was thinking like, man, I should hang on to this. Let's see where it is, you know. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, travel back and just talk about like Burgundy or in general or like how does how does how can a wine bring you to all these other ideas about like geography or history or anything like to me the mind-blowing part of all this is like there was a time in the 12th century that the Cistercian monks in this region decided like they they were sorry i grew up catholic and for a while was really deep into that too like deep into that that was part of the journey was this like free form man yeah just, man i loved i loved it you know you're what off I mean? the leash go I, for I, it i loved it you know and like some of the like most important people in my life were like kind of like kind of catholic priests and were like just intelligent amazing people but i was always really inspired by it and i love the idea of a monastic life so burgundy burgundy is really created by monks and then now it's 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 all about farmers you know, and there was a transition, but this is the world's first wine, fine wine region, like a place where people set out and said, we're going to specifically grow vines in certain places to make the best wine possible. Well, don't you think it's interesting that those monks were so focused on like maybe it's pre-academia, but they had an attention to detail yeah. that was beyond anything of the time and yep. they recorded everything. Yep. So not only were mm -hmm. they invested in agriculture as far as the grapes, but they also took the time to, when they made the wine, taste the wine and say, this wine from here has these qualities and this wine from here yes. has these qualities. And that recorded information was passed down generation to generation. And then as people began to have a better understanding of, you know, the terroir, mm -hmm. right, and the grapes themselves growing conditions, the impact of the weather, all of that sort of developed organically over time to have brought us to where we're at. One of the things that I really enjoy about old world wine is that while there has been some evolution and some experimentation over time, there is still a great devotion to the way that things were done when they were first done. And place, yes, yeah. and I think yeah. that is the coolest thing. Oh yeah, me too, man. It's it, it the, the they're in the 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 place and the product are completely inseparable. It's a it's a mind blower to me when I think, especially like the Cistercians, like they're they're in Situ or Cito, I don't know. It's it's a village they founded, the Abbey there. It's just outside of Dijon, and this is the mother Abbey of Cistercian monks, who then within two hundred years were like global and their whole they followed oh god is it the rule or the edict of saint saint benedict but the basically the idea was like you you you're going to find solace and beauty in manual labor you know and that and also like we don't want like you can't have a life of of extreme austerity you can't have a life of of excess you know it's kind of about finding this this the saint the rule of saint benedict was that middle path but because these guys did that manual labor man they're down in the they're in the fucking dirt man mm -hmm. yep. and you're right and they recorded it and that's what's so fundamental it's like it's like it's so it's so it's what's amazing like when we think about like when i always think about the the broader like we live in that world in the world we're the recipients of the institutional knowledge that these people have created. Yep. 
that's a mind blower. Like no matter how you feel one way or another about like. Well, that's what know, I say to people about, is yeah. I said, you know, when you have a glass of good wine, think about what it took to, to produce that. Can you yeah. do, if you can't do that, like, aren't you curious how that comes to be? You know, cause there's a lot going on there. Mm. Now I remember the, uh, one of the, one of my favorite memories of my father is, um, he's a, you know, farmer, gardener, extraordinaire. And we were, I forget exactly where we were, but there, we were standing on the edge of a garden and in the garden was amazing soil. And outside of the garden was just sort of this like trampled down like path. Uh-huh. And he, he said, pick up a handful of the dirt from the garden. Okay. He goes, put your nose into it and smell it. And I did. And it was like one of the most evocative smells. Like it just, it just lit up my yeah, brain. Sure. And then he went over and he picked up just a hunk of this, like just dead, you know, dirt off this path. And he goes, he crushed it up. And he goes, smell this. I smelled it. And it did nothing. Nothing. And he goes, some people would look at both of these and call them both dirt. <laughs> and he goes, it's not. Yeah. Goes, this is soil and this is dirt. <laughs> and they are not the same thing, you know? Mm. And I think it's people that have... For me, I want to know all the elements of, of whatever it is that I'm interested in. But I think that when you when you break it down, the 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 vintners and the wine growers, the the best ones are the ones that are the most in tune with the earth, and that's what I find so fascinating. Oh yeah, I mean in a in the in the and I think that's one of the few statements out there that you can use with the broad. <laughs> It's Absolutely. a great broad. I think there, there's, I, I don't really, I'm not somebody who believes in like altruism or, you know, it's even why I, I personally, you know, as much as I appreciate these monks and stuff, I kind of eschew myself from that stuff, as, you know, the older I get. But like, yeah, man, it's one of the few things I find truth in, you know, and it's really amazing. And it's like, there's a, for sure too. And like, what's, it's still, it's, it blows my mind some days when I think there's not a single person out here that's more than four or five generations removed from people just playing in the goddamn dirt well and like and you how know? far we came from it but also i think to our yeah. detriment to our Yo, detriment. no 100 percent to our detriment that's exactly that's, what i mean i think 100 percent to our detriment yeah. like it's it's scary when we sorry i don't want to monopolize this too much, but i was thinking about it even even just a couple of days ago where i was like oh my god we we sorry reading the whole hegel thing right like <laughs> like german idealist philosophers right but but the idea that that you know no matter how advanced we become no matter how empirical science is for us we still have to be able to take have an understanding of history the the entire depth and breadth of history and be able to take the best ideas from 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 it. I mean, he would call it um, the historical dialectic. Yeah, you know, or or like taking idea like like that. These don't just because something was done two thousand years ago doesn't mean it doesn't have the same gravitas. Or and and we found different techniques to do that thing doesn't mean that it doesn't have the same gravitas or ability for you to do it now. I was thinking, I went to the UP, my wife and I did like a little, we, we stayed in a cabin out outside of um, Pictured Rocks mm-hmm. um, National Lakeshore. And it was amazing. It's this area of Lake Superior, 
Superior where there's 40 miles with no municipalities. There's not a single town. There's one lighthouse and there's two roads in and then there's one unpaved road in the middle and that that's it, right? And like at one point we got lost and I didn't totally do it on my own. I had like, uh, I, I knew my, I knew, I looked on the map, you know, I knew, I knew where, where we were and, and we got off the trail and I was like, oh, I know, I know a single cardinal direction and we can get there. You know what I mean? But like, like if I, I just think, and this, I don't mean this to sound pejorative to other people, but there's tons of people that couldn't point you to which way the lake is. 100%. You know what I mean? And and from the sun and knowing what time it was, I could get us out of there. And it's I knew amazing. That, and I knew that there was a river, you know, and to think that like, oh my god, like I didn't need a computer. I one didn't work. The the you know? the further I remove myself, I mean certainly technology has in a lot of ways opened a lot of doors mm -hmm. for a lot of people and I wouldn't in it. I would, oh, be, no. I would now, be the first one to won't say won't be a luddite, not at all. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, but there's, there's, you. I think we've taken it too far. I think, and again, to our detriment, like stop. Yeah. Put your phone down. Like just go put your feet in the grass. Like you, you need that. I think that we have, we've removed ourselves from the natural world so far. Like when I think back, I was just uh, reading this book um, called Ten Who Dared, and it was about uh, you know ten explorers. But you're like. When you think about that in, in the golden age of exploring, where it was, we're going to get on a ship and I have a sextant, and by the position of the sun, yeah. I'm going to circumnavigate the globe. Yeah. And the fact that anyone mm -hmm. survived, and they did. I mean, <laughs> forget about like, okay, 80% yeah. of them died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that 100% of them didn't die. And mm -hmm. when you, you know, cartography, yeah. first of all, the fact that you even brought that word up yeah. endears oh. me even further. Yeah. You're Just, one of the only guys <laughs> I know that would pull that rabbit out of the hat. But if you look at old maritime charts, they knew the depth of the reef. They knew the currents. They knew the coastline. They knew the wind. They knew the weather ships. Yeah. Like how, I mean, you're on a boat made of wood. Somebody, how could you possibly know somebody this? Somebody physically had to do it. It was amazing. It. Yeah. Amazing. And like... And the wealth of knowledge that they had, and and also the the fortitude, the courage, like basically you're living off hardtack and <laughs> and rum. You know what I mean? Yeah. For months at a time, yeah, man. Yeah. And like and somehow you like yeah. you did it, and now people can't figure out how to make coffee in their own kitchen. You're like, wow. <laughs> What we have taken a hard left as yeah. far as a species. Oh man! There's like when you look at these stories, <clears throat> and and it goes back to to some of these vineyards too. Wars, and drought, unbelievable, and whatever. And somehow the great ones somehow found a way to persist through that time. And one of the things that I love, especially about French wine, is no watering allowed. Yeah, you cannot water. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. can you not water? Yep. You can't water because it forces the plants to either die or to drive their roots yeah. so deep into the rock mm -hmm. that they will survive if there is any sort of a, a weather issue. And in so doing, you're able to basically taste the earth in your glass of wine. The first time that I had a glass of like, you know, like Beaujolais that had some really amazing minerality to it, you're like, I actually yeah. understand what people are talking about now. It's a, uh, it's 
it's it's it's creating something in a deductive way as opposed to an inductive yes. way. You know, and that's what's kind of wild about it. Yeah, and it's really really. Weird. I mean, that's that could be a whole other tangent because there's this there's this current. There's arg- nothing but tangents on this podcast. Yeah, and there's man. there's these current there's a current kind of within the sommelier community, mm-hmm. <laughs> within the som community, and then within like the the kind of you know also the like food science community there's 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 an argument about like like objectively what properties do different soils create in wine you know because people will say will say something like because the way you and i experience this no matter you know how how deep we want to get into it we're there's still this 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 we're 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 like i always think in america too we're like just developing a lexicon for it, you know, and we got to take shit to the next level always, you know, but it's interesting because like, I definitely, we say the terms like minerality or it's earthy or, or there's all these non, these flavors that we don't associate with fruit. And it's like the, the verdict is still like on an objective level, the verdict is very much out mm. if these things are directly derived from the soil or sure. not. But like, fuck, on a subjective way, you smell a wine and it smells like the place that it comes from. Yes. And you're like, whoa, if you if you go to that place, you're 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 then like, oh my God, I'm like it, it does it, it's evocative. It is. I and mean, yeah. I like the idea of the fact yeah. that you cannot necessarily put your finger on everything. I don't think yeah. you should be able exactly, to exactly right? man. If yeah, you yeah, walk yeah, into yeah, like yeah, the yeah, art yeah. museum yeah. and you and I both walk up yeah, to yeah, the yeah. same painting. Yep. You're going to see, fine, it's a painting of whatever, yeah. rocks or this yep. or that, a sunset, doesn't mm-hmm. make a difference. And the mm-hmm. artist used these colors. We can all agree on the objective mm-hmm. things. But what makes it art is the subjective. What makes it art is the mm-hmm. way that it touches your soul. And good wine or great food or the, yeah. or the things in life, those hedonistic things in life that make life worth living, they come to you in a in an individual way and it should be that way it should be oh. that way oh there you go How you so doing? yep the dogs decided the dog, to make yeah, a dogs, cameo appearance dogs here. Make a cameo mm-hmm. that's all right yeah it's wild you know and it's like it's interesting because i'm <laughs> doing like reading hegel and like french existentialists and there's a whole argument it's like if you're you're full of shit if you're claiming you can experience art without a bias you have to, you have to, you have to realize you have to internalize it. You have to internalize it. You have to realize you're bringing your bias to it and you accept that. And like, you know, you're bringing your full being in, into that and accept that as opposed to like trying to be an impartial critic. Absolutely. I think being the impartial critic ruins so much Well, why so would you want to be an impartial or, critic? And, and why, why, why do we fucking insist on quantifying everything? Yeah, you no, know? absolutely. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I think yeah. that I think that art is art through your own individual prism. Yeah. Right? And it should be that way. I just I don't always want to have things be black and white. I think that the black and white is necessary on occasion, but I think it's it's the spectrum of colors that makes the human experience what it is. I'm when I fir- when you first talked about the podcast, I was like, and then I listened, then I went and listened to it. I was like, this whole thing is an affront to binary opposition. Yeah, 
I mean, it is. It is. It's the idea Good conversation. of conversation. Yeah, it's Good the idea of interaction. Like, is well, it? when you're like, hey, don't don't bring don't bring a you know, let's not bring an agenda because we all have biases, which are totally different than which is totally different than an agenda, you know. And like even when, you know when when I've done events and you've been there, I'm like, man, this guy is intense, <laughs> right? But I love it. And like some of the other you know dudes I work with, he's like, that guy's intense. And I was like. In a really good way, man. <laughs> you know I just like I've yeah. never I've never seen the point of of not embracing whatever it might be to its fullest. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like let's take the restrictor plate off. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's really see where this goes. Let's talk about things. Let's talk about things candidly and honestly and mm-hmm. openly. So long as you have like the mutual respect for someone yeah. else and the willingness to shut your own mouth and open your ears and listen to some what else is saying. Like I would say, it's tough man. I mean, I don't know that it is. I mean, yes, yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. I know where you're coming with that, and yes, yeah. I agree. But I would also say, from my own personal experience, that as opposed to getting harder with time, yeah. it's getting much easier yes, with time. Yes, I do agree and with the that. The reason yeah. for that is, yeah. And people might find this to be a strange answer, but I would say that it is easier because of curiosity. And what I mean by that is this. Yeah. I already know what I think, mm. but I don't know what you think and I don't know why you think that so if I'm curious which I am insatiably I want to know what you think and then I want to know why you think that. yeah the only way for me to learn that Mm -hmm. is to listen and to really listen and then to consider why you're saying what you're saying and to ask questions to like further enlighten myself through your responses that's what I think. Beautiful, man. And that's why, you know, and this, it is, it's why, like, the whole idea of the, you know, binary opposition is so, and when I say that, I just mean, like, well, it's either got to be this way or that way. And we, and it's such a trap. It is. It it's, is a trap. It's, it's such a, it's such a total, it's such a, such a trap, you know, and, and it's a, it's a horrible trap. And it's like, it, and we've, we've, it's been magnified in the, especially like, God, the last like 10, 12 years as me as an adult, like that has just ramped up and up and up and it's part of also the way of we have a culture that does want to quantify things like this is the these are the 10 best and you know like well, yeah but yeah. also like i think yeah. when people look at that what i would say is okay even if that's sort of the cultural norm mm-hmm. have a look at the culture like mm. you sure you want to be marching in a parade yeah i would 100%. argue probably not no, probably not yeah like yeah. People don't seem to have mm-hmm. the highest satisfaction of life right now. Like, Fuck yeah. People are stressed out of their yeah. minds. Priorities are on all the wrong things, mm-hmm. right? Families falling apart. Like, are you really happy, yeah. man? Like, I, and then what I always say, and I'll probably say it, you know, ad nauseum for the rest of my life is think for yourself. Think for yourself. You don't need somebody else to tell you what makes you happy. You know what makes you happy. Mm. Like, why do you have like i love it like some guy you know i know people with money guys like bragging that he got a seven thousand square foot house like you got two kids man like why do you have a seven thousand square foot house like what do you if you if you have an intercom in your house like that's a problem it's not something to brag about like told me he spent like this insane amount of money on his landscaping like why what do you what are you doing what what pleasure do you get out of it like like I don't understand that. Like, and people that think that somehow that that is sort of a yardstick for, for success. By what metric? Like, 
like someone said it before and I'm I whoever it was is it's eluding my mind right now but it was spot on and it was that we have made the fatal mistake of this in this country of equating success with money mm. money with material possession and material possession with happiness and he goes and we're starting to figure out that we made a huge huge mistake with that yeah i mean i think i think so and it's it's yeah i mean a hundred percent like I what, mean, what makes you have like right now sitting here good bottle of wine yeah. two friends sit down having a conversation like it doesn't cost a lot but you can't also put a price tag on it you know what i mean yeah. it's oh, that exactly. kind of a thing exactly. you cannot buy the things in life that your soul needs yeah like the the deeper dive to to that you know to that to me and when we talk about like you know you just just the kind of the binary landscape where we that we live in of like this is left and this is this is right you know i always think of and it's a, it's a it's an argument i'll get into a lot of people like that that maybe don't have the same cuz i have a pretty odd i don't want to get too deep into my own political thoughts but nonetheless i always consider myself a a leftist right mm-hmm. and like and I don't. When I say that, I don't mean like I. That doesn't mean I'm part of either of these parties. Right. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not. I'm. I really don't like either of them. <laughs> and I. I absolutely. I'm coming from. I'm coming from a place to the left. I know that's my bias. Mm-hmm. I actually want to talk about that. I know that's my bias. Yep. I don't like what I see, from the, my two options, and I really wonder why there aren't more. And that's always kind of where my conversation starts. You know, well, what, I I tell, what I tell people is to think that one singular group of people has all the answers. I'm like, is, is lunacy. It's, it's nothing short of it. And like, we both know lots of people. Yeah. We both know lots of great people. Even those great people have good ideas and bad ideas. <laughs> and it's only through open dialogue, engaged, thoughtful conversation yeah. Where maybe I have an idea and you're like, Adam, that is absolute nonsense. And I'm like, hmm. And hopefully, because I respect your opinion, I'm like, I wonder why Nate said that was nonsense. And I go back and I mull it over later and maybe you give me some things to think about it. And it helps me come to like my next evolution as far as thought. I can remember I had a professor in college and he was from Ghana in Africa. Oh, wow. Very different culture, yep. right? And he was sharing with us like his outlooks on things from from his cultural perspectives, mm. and quite different from you know me growing up in the Midwest. But I remember I didn't agree with him at first, but I found him very interesting. And I had a couple conversations with this guy on the side, sort of like after class or whatever, and I would ask him a question. Would have and. I can remember that as being a pivotal moment in my life where I had a conversation or several conversations with someone who had a very different point of view than I did, that through that conversation, I was able to see, understand, and appreciate his point of view. Even without, and you know what? Some of it I did eventually agree with, and other of it I didn't. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the point. The point was that I made the leap. And that I was able to see things through his eyes. Nothing is just 
a singular point of view. The human experience, existence, life is not a singular right or left, black and white. It doesn't work like that. It's, it's infinite and constantly dynamic and changing and always evolving. And people should, I think, in my opinion anyway, strive to embrace that. To realize that even if you were right yesterday, things may have changed and you should always try and grow to like be the best person that you could be to create the best world that you can create. Yeah, you, you oh man, you would love the ambiguity of ethics then. Because it's all, it's all about that. She's like, this is Beauvoir, you know, Simone de Beauvoir is like, you, you like, the goal here is to... Well, not the goal, like, like there's, and she's, she's not grading people, but she's saying there's, you know, some of us are nihilists. Some of us are even sub, like we're a sub man. We just don't, we don't, we don't form our own opinions. We don't even try to seek them. We just kind of are there. Some of us are what she would call the serious man. Right. And then the, the trapping of the serious man is that he says, he's not like serious, like you and I are having a serious conversation, but serious, like I am a demagogue for this ideal or that ideal. And it's what defines me. And she is like, there's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in that. And then she gets to this point where this is, this is where it gets crazy. Right. Cause like, then there's like the adventurer and to her, Nietzsche is the adventurer, right? And the, but the trap of the adventurer and where the adventurer doesn't isn't free is that the the adventurer sometimes refuses to see how all the rest of humanity had to create the template within which he lives in order for him to be the adventurer. <laughs> you know? And then then she gets on to then it's like the uh the uh, aesthetic attitude. And that's kind of like, like once again, the real free person sees that their own biases are, are there and they, and they work towards ending the oppression of those around them because they, this is such a, this is my synthesis of this, which, you know, she took like 900 pages and did a better <laughs> job than I did. But, but, you know, are we even free? Like, is Kim Jong-un free? Because, like, why do people love him? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that cult of personality. Like, yep. he's not him without them thinking, like, putting him on that pedestal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, who? Kim Jong-un isn't going to be able to kill a rabbit. <laughs> and eat it, you know? He's not going to be able to grow fucking carrots, man. Yep. You know? Yeah. No, I think that... You know, there's there's a catch twenty two, I think, mm -hmm. in everything as far as human existence. Mm -hmm. Like there oh, really yeah. is, depending on how you want it. And I also think that like we as a species are only at the at the very infancy of our understanding of, of what we are. You know, when you think back, like how long have we been doing this? How long have people really I mean, a thousand years? Yeah. A thousand years isn't that long. Yeah, man. You I know mean, what I mean? And and one of the things that I think that is, is interesting to me is that how much great philosophy took... We always think when we're like, oh, philosophy, we always want to look back. 
yeah. you always want to put it in the rearview mirror of Nietzsche or you want to go way back like Socrates, Socrates Aristotle, yeah. these mm -hmm. kinds of things. I mean, as far as mm -hmm. modern day goes, that was a while ago. But wouldn't it be interesting to have someone today? And such people do exist. Yep. Right? Sure. But they aren't as prolific. Right? I, I would think my one example is like uh, he's the Slovenian guy, Slavoj Zivic, mm -hmm. is is like, and if you know, mm -hmm. and we don't need to, but he's like the one current guy that's like this is a philosopher. But mm -hmm. nonetheless, where I, I kind of interrupted you, not at all. Yeah. But what I think is, we as a society, and as as a race seem to really be struggling with a lot of oh, issues yeah. right now. Yeah. And it seems like we have sort of devolved where we have chosen things perhaps are so crazy in the world that we've chosen to like do the little kid thing where we're going to focus on the things that don't matter. I'm going to focus on this celebrity gossip mm -hmm. or whatever, which is mm -hmm. so irrelevant to everything in existence but that's what I'm going to talk about. Or I'm going to talk about these issues, which ultimately pale in comparison to like the real issues of the day. Hunger, education, like the welfare of our fellow man, these kinds of things. But we're not going to talk about that, even though we could. And even though we could move, you know, we could move the needle in the right direction on those topics. We choose not to. We get mired in this sort of bog of just absurdity. And people end up spinning their wheels, and we end up spending all this money, and then four years, eight years, yeah. 12 years goes by, and we're all still standing around wringing our hands being like, oh, nothing's changed. Yeah, it's square one. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but uh, yeah. that's on us. Absolutely. I, I, I do, it blows my mind. You know, sometimes I think about, about two, and I don't want to, and you know, like my wife, my wife has a pretty cool job. She's, um, she, she's in the Legislative Reference Bureau for the city. Mm -hmm. So shout out, shout out to my wife who was like, I'm probably <laughs> alive because of you, T. Um, <laughs> in so many ways. Um, but you know, and she was a personal injury attorney for a mm -hmm. while, and then she was, and she's had, she's had multiple careers. She's a woman who's lived many lives, but she works, she works in the legislative uh, reference bureau for the city. So she works for the alder people. Mm -hmm. And the point I'm getting at is that like, she sees the good. Mm -hmm. she sees like she sees awesome stuff man mm -hmm. she's you know like recently there was a guy who came and was like i want to make a gaming space you know in an area that where a lot of people just wouldn't you know or like let's be honest man just is like is is not awesome and a lot of folks won't go there you know mm -hmm. like she sees that kind of stuff going there are people the out there there's no like the yeah. for whatever reason and i think because it's salacious the focus is on the negativity the ne yeah well and and it's the the narrative and i also would think that but like, you know what that's i'm gonna jump in here yeah. it's the narrative we because we allow it to be mm. the narrative and that's 100%. the thing 100 percent. you know i remember the first time i was in philadelphia and i saw the original congress and we're walking around, right? And it's, someone asked, why are there a hundred seats in this room? And there are a hundred, or however many seats there were. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, there are a hundred seats in this room. Like I, you know, my parents were, my parents were my best teachers and my parents were always sort of taking us to the library, learn about this, learn about that, read this, understand that. You know, my father was a teacher and I happened like American history. Yeah. It's your country. Yeah. Better know the history. It's important. Right? Yeah. So there's there's so and so many seats in here because there's two seats for each state for each senator. Yes. Okay. But when you realize what 
like how big the federal government is as far as your representation, uh-huh. it is it is a drop of water okay. in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Then, then you get into things about like sort of special interests and who's pulling the string behind the scenes, and that gets into a much more sort of nebulous ball. But eventually, like, there's how many hundreds of millions of people in this country? Like, there's we don't have to agree on everything. Yeah. Let's just agree on the basics. You want a better world for your kids? You want to like, you know what I mean? Like, let's find the common ground and let's come together on that. Enough with the divisiveness. And the divisiveness ends as soon as you decide that it ends. Like, yeah, like what's the mystery out there? That's what I want. Like, enough. <laughs> like, like, I just want to be like, attention, morons. <laughs> There's no issue unless you make it an issue. And like, you know For what? Sure. I'd rather go fishing. Like, <laughs> so everybody calm down. Let's pop the cork and I'll see you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, wh- like, isn't it more fun that way? It is. Isn't man. it more fun? Yeah. It, it is, and it's the the whole the whole binary app. Once again, I, I keep obsessing on this whole like the idea of this. There's this. Well, bi- I mean, it's something that's binary opposition. It's, it's like it's, it's out like, there. I don't know what you're obsessing in, on it. It's pretty much in your face. There's something in between. Yeah, there's something in between. It's not all fucking end times or utopia, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this shit doesn't. You know, like it doesn't. It doesn't exist. It's interesting, like because we go back to. It's funny because you know we talk about like, hey man, what are the things I find solace in? Like, like it's, I, I, you know, I, I kind of brought to this conversation. I've been really doing the deep dive into a lot of philosophy because I'm not getting the modern world or the modern media isn't giving me anything that I see that I'm deriving new information from that's beneficial for me to be a better person it doesn't feed your soul deliver, yeah it doesn't feed my soul it doesn't feed your soul yeah. like and people yeah. can say whatever they want for sure and you can go down yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever good, good theologic for brevity or, for brevity it doesn't feed my soul <laughs> whatever theologic or philosophical yeah, yeah, yeah. rabbit yeah. hole you want to but that's why people are so unhappy yeah it doesn't uh, for feed sure, your soul for sure man everything out there sure is is cheap and what I mean by that is the, the quality and also the end result. It's all or we, garbage. And the, like one we have of the a f- culture that that places here's here's the irony. We have a culture that places value on cheap stuff to its detriment. Yeah. Again, to its detriment. Absolutely to its detriment. And one of the things Absolutely. that like when you and I first like met each yeah. other, and one of the things I was like, I gotta know who this dude is, is the fact that, like I would listen to you. You know, we'd go. There would be a tasting. We'd bring some particular, you know winemaker in they'd begin talking about their wine or you'd begin talking about a region and what i saw in you was that you were invested yeah you were invested yeah. in <laughs> the in the wine in the knowledge in 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 all of it and like that's that's the yeah. thing and it's people need to be invested you have to invest yourself in something greater than yourself and when you do that so long as it's to a good cause that's what feeds your soul that's what feeds your soul. 100%, man. You know, it's one of those things. And kind of weird segue. I'm liking this, but I'm not loving it. There's, like, it's it's tannic, and it's it's really... There's like, a funk to this wine that yeah. I'm having a hard time yeah. putting a and finger like, on. It's like leathery, and in, in French, they say, like, 
like they'll say Subois. Okay. Like under the woods. Yeah. It has a little, and it's not like it's bad, and it's not not fl- at all. It's not flawed, but it's just I want this to be. It's still. It's it's it's, it's tight. It's, it's a, very tight. Yeah. It's opening up slowly. Yeah. You know this, the, so. This is not a cheap date either. Hey man, <laughs> it's all good, man. Somebody right? gifted this to me though. Hey, too. too. So that's that tip of the hat to whoever that was. Even better, man. <laughs> it wasn't, um, you know, you buy. I, I buy you guys out of Bandol every single time I come mm. into the store. Mm-hmm. And do you know how that Tom came B. to be? Bandol, yeah. You know how that came to be? It was some book, and I didn't know what it was. Like a was it a miss? You it's told Jim me, Harrison. Jim Harrison. You don't know who Jim Harrison is? Okay. Jim Harrison is probably most famous for Legends of the Fall. He's the guy oh, that wrote told Legends this. of yeah, the Fall. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. he is he is a titan of American literature. Okay. I'm and so writing it down, Mr. One of one of my very, very good friends and I were out on uh, the rivers up north. And this is when he and I were just getting to know each other. And uh, we're out there, we're fly fishing, and I forget how it and he goes, he's like, You remind me of Jim Harrison. And I said, I don't know who that is. And, and oh, his his level of, of shock was as much as mine is that you don't know who he is. But the guy, in addition to writing all sorts of these amazing short stories and novels, was prolific in his writing of food and wine. Oh, wild. Oh, okay. And the book that like, I always uh, reference people oh, to I'm is a book down. called A Very Big Lunch. And it is sort of a compilation of a lot of his works on food and wine. And it centers around this like 27 course meal that he was invited to in France, right? That'll do it. And his favorite wine, which he references time and time and time again in this book, is Bandol. Oh, wow. Okay. And I had never heard of it before. And I'm like, I got to go. Because this guy, when he writes, it just. His gift with the written word, it just speaks to my soul. For lay people out there, this is a red wine that's grown on the very, very edge of the Mediterranean in Provence, an area that we usually associate with with rosé wines. Yep. But this is this just monstrous brooding, like it's got fruit to it. It's dark. And the the producer is Tompier. Yep. And and it's ba- bandols yeah. the area, and it's it right on so, the Mediterranean. It's a super unique. And when you first yet. pull the cork on this bottle of wine and pour it in your glass, it's it's a very good glass of wine. But there is no wine I know that opens up like that oh, wine. For sure, it is mm-hmm. a complete two hours later in the decanter, and it's not anywhere close to what it was when you first pull that cork. And it's the most amazing sort of expression of a wine opening up that I've ever had. And it's it's near and dear to my oh, heart. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, it's cool stuff, man. I know. I'm always I, – I, I always think of you now whenever – because through the through the distributor, I get it. I watch as it, like, depletes, and I'm like, oh, shit, I got to buy a bunch of this. And, like – and then all of a sudden, it'll be gone, and I'm like, damn. The next time I see Adam, I'm going to be like, dude, I got to break it to him. Like, that baby bandol's gone. We're out. The next, There's no the more. next vintage. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it. Some, hey, man. The, dude, there's the anticipation. It is. It's like hey, Christmas man. morning. I walk I, in there. And yeah. you know what also, too, though? The cool yeah. thing is is yeah. that it's forced me to, like you, – you get out of your comfort zone. Oh, yeah, you do. Because you so, kind of – yeah. Absolutely. Yep. You've and I love going in there, and I love – Things adjacent. So ex- walk me through how you actually became a sommelier. 
Like, I'm mm. very curious as to that process. Oh. How did that happen? So, oof, wow, how did... I'm trying to think of the first person that I was like, oh, this guy's doing it. That I knew that had pursued it. Mm -hmm. Because I took... Well, long story short, in 2006, I took... There, there's the Court of Master Sommeliers. Okay. Was established in the United States. The, the U.S. branch of it okay. was established in the late 80s by a guy named Fred, Fred Dame. Dame. Fred Dame. Fred yeah. Dame. Dude, uh, he is a titan. Yes. He's the titan force. of American sommeliers. Okay? Yep. Um, he was the first He master. was the first. He was the first American master. Yeah. And then he brought that to the United States and he worked at a he worked at a restaurant in Monterey. In Sardine Factory. Yeah. Sardine Factory. Oh, you're good, man. Oh dude, I know yeah. Fred Dame. The, oh, the yeah. story about him when he took his when he when he can go for a flight of wine and he uh -huh. can nose it all and he doesn't even have to taste it and he can hit it off the nose. Yeah. For people who don't know what we're talking about, please explain what hitting it off the nose means. He could smell a wine and he could tell you the variety it's made from, the region it's from and the vintage all by just smelling it without even tasting it, you know? Um, the times that I've had a chance to like watch that guy, oh, like dude. I just, I just love, I mean, I've never met him. I probably never will. Yeah. I just, but the guy just makes me smile. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. So he really started the court of master sommeliers and then I don't know, a couple people in the industry had, had pursued it. Um, a woman in town here, there's about five or six of us kind of in, in the Milwaukee area that kind of all, all started to pursue it at the same time, including Christian Damiano, who's now the sommelier at um, um, Harbor House. Mm -hmm. um, a woman named Katie Espinoza, who's the only person that in, in Wisconsin currently that's an advanced sommelier. Okay. She's really, oh my God, she's, whew, she's really put in the effort. Um Oh my god, I'm missing a bunch of people. Er, oh my god. I'm well. Anyways, like those are the two people I I knew back in like about 15 years ago that had already started to pursue it. And then I and I was like, I think I can do this. Sure. So I and I'd done retail for a while and some 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 minor bartending stuff and minor like fine dining sure. work. You know. Um, and then I, that back then they didn't. They now they traveled almost like. Like most major cities host like an introductory court of master sommeliers class. Mm -hmm. There's four tiers to this thing now. Mm -hmm. And in 06, I took the first tier, which would which is now known as the introductory um, class for the court of master sommeliers. And this is really cool. I actually took it at the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America yeah. in Greystone in Napa. Oh wow! Right, which used to be the Christian Brothers. It was the Christian Brothers Winery. Yeah. So it was me, and everybody else was from California. Okay. So it was interesting, and then like the, you, you do a day. Sounds like a joke. You know, it's a guy whole, from Wisconsin yeah, yeah, walks yeah. into a, right, walks into a classroom with a bunch right. of Californians. And I'll, I'll try to do a humble brag at some point with this. So I go and do it right, and there's like the first the first day they show you how to blind taste. You do okay. blind tasting, and I'd done like a bunch of I'd I'd done blind tasting sure. with friends, and I knew that that's what was going to happen, and I, I I'd expose myself to the technique because what I really like about the whole thing is it's it's all like 
your it's it's your pace right like they give you a syllabus and you do the work right you know so it's like all you know it's it's on you right so i go in and it's a two-day thing and the first day is like they're basically kind of walking you through what you need to know okay right so then they'd call on people and we do the tastings and like and we do the blind tasting technique but when they'd call on people for like theory stuff or like what's this this is from there like i would just raise my hand every single time like every single time. And all the rest of these people are from California. So they deeply know California wine. Right. But they were just not like there were questions about wine from Hungary and Austria and things like this. Yeah. And it was just way like the majority of them just weren't prepared for sure. that, right? So so at the end of the first day, like like all of a sudden I had a bunch of new friends because people wanted to study with me, you know? And it was really, it was, it was super, super flattering. And then like, this is the intro thing, which is like, it is like a 90% pass rate. Right. But, but we, we, we take it the next day and, and master sommeliers are the ones who administer the whole thing. So, um, so we do the test we, and it's, it's, it's just a 60, it's a 60 question written test. It's a 60 question, like, um, what do you call it? Uh, multiple choice test. Okay. But lo and behold, I mean, I did the best in the class. They don't tell you how many you got right or wrong, but they sure. said, "Hey, these." And there was somebody else there, mm-hmm. you know. And they were like, "You two, you two, you two, you know, best in class, you know." And I was shocked. I really was. Okay. And I was like, "Oh shit!" I mean, I guess I should keep doing this, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. A little positive so, encouragement. Yeah. So then a couple years later, I was like, there was an opportunity to take the the certified exam at the Drake Hotel in in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh man, gosh, oh my God, I'm blanking on the dude's name. Colin, Colin, I can't think of your last name. He now lives in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. He was, he was the manager at Sabor, okay. which yep. was the Brazilian steakhouse yep. that was downtown. He and I, he and I blind tasted and did it together. And there's a champagne service. Yep. When you do the, the certified exam, there's a champagne service okay. or some kind of pouring service. Like okay. you might have to do decanting. You might have to pour port wine from a cradle. They never do that. It's always, they always make you do a champagne service. So you got to practice opening. And then, um, then, um, oh my God, man. Anyways, you, you also get all these questions while you're serving the wine. Okay. Like it's a hypothetical, like I'm having, you know, I'm having beef bourgogne. What are, what, what are, what, what, would, recommend, what, would, what you recommend? would you recommend? Right. right? And like, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I was like, um, I'm going to give you, you know, to talk about Bur- Burgundy. I'll be like, Albert Bichot Pomard, right? And I'd be, they'd be like, no, 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 no. I, I had a wine from, you know, uh, Pomard. Can you give me something that's uh, in the in the Cotubon that's a red, right? you know, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, sure thing. <laughs> uh, you know, you'd be like, yeah. You know, it, 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 it's like that, and you, you have to really think on your feet. Sure. And you can, you, um... When it comes down to that, like, one of the things I always have a question on as far as, like, the pairings is how broad a brush can you paint with in that? Because people do have their sort of individual preferences. So we certainly agree that like certain wines go with certain foods, no doubt. But how much latitude do you have when making those suggestions? Like, is it like, so long as I have a general region here or is it the varietal or how does, how does a sommelier make that decision? You know, because I've gone to some mm-hmm. places and I've had a psalm come up to me and I'm saying, okay, you know, what mm-hmm. this is what we're planning on having for dinner. Would you make a remedy? And they nail it. Great. Yeah. Yep. I've gone to other places, 
completely the opposite. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and so it happens. It's, it's bad. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah. but I guess what I'm saying is, how what factors go into making the decision as far as how do we pair oh, what wow. with what? Wow. You know. Um, well, for, first and foremost, and the, like this is kind of where I always feel I don't feel bad, but like I don't have a ton of like. Like for me to go to the next level within yeah. the hierarchy of, of like eventually becoming a master sommelier, sure. I definitely would need to have like go do deep fine dining sure. experience. But we you know, do that. Yeah. You should definitely try it out. Right? <laughs> I'm, totally I'm always should. down for some oh, fine dining. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, there you go. There, right? there is, yeah. Yeah. Just R and D sponsor. R and D man. That's, Absolutely. Yeah, we'll totally write it R and D. It's total R and D. Um, but you know, I do I do that every day though. Right. From a practical standpoint with folks that you know, are coming into the store and I have people consistently like, man, this is not a call to arms here, but man, people email me <laughs> menus. I, I, it won't be weird for me to come into work after, you know, I've been gone, you know, for a couple of days and I'll come in and there'll be like three or four requests that are, that they're a menu mm -hmm. and somebody has like some dining experience planned yep. with the amount of people and here's the menu. And then I just kind of pair it for them. Yep. So I do this on a really practical basis. And what's great is like, I mean, I have a selection that's broader than, than most, most restaurants. Well, restaurants I was just going to get into that. Yeah. Like, so when you, when you go up around uh -huh. town here or perhaps even regionally mm -hmm. or even, you know, whatever, nationally, internationally, internationally yeah. but just sort of focusing on the hometown here, like there are, we have some very, very mm -hmm. good restaurants here in town. Yeah. Um, but I'm always interested in that, while the caliber of the food, I think, here in Milwaukee has really sort of skyrocketed over the past couple of years. Oh, yeah. I feel like, with a few exceptions, the wine lists or or quality of choices to complement that food have perhaps lagged behind. Oh, it's it's a common it's a and common is it's that a common because thing this is not this was not a wine town. This is a beer town, and you I, know there's maybe there's people aren't used to it, or it's a cocktail town. You, no one thinks of Milwaukee as oh Milwaukee wine capital yeah, of the Midwest. Exactly. But there are some people out there that do have some very impressive cellars yeah. in places that you would not necessarily oh, expect. Yeah, yeah, there's man. some hidden gems out there. You yeah. walk in and you're like, excuse me, what do you have? Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, we've got this, you know, yeah. 2012 Chateau Neuf de Pop, and you're like, yeah. ooh. Didn't oh, see that oh, coming. Oh, yeah, as far as restaurants have, Absolutely. have some things, yeah. So I, I mean, feel like it's the game is sort of beginning up, to up, up itself up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's five or six places that do, you know. I mean, I, I definitely think that, that, like, from day one, I, I definitely think Bacchus has been mm -hmm. really, really incredible. And, and, and like, they've really maintained a, a broad, uh, really broad by the bottle program that's pretty cool. Um, I think probably the, unfortunately, I think the most overlooked place, and I, I haven't been there in years, and I, I, I feel guilty even saying it, but like Dream Dance, mm -hmm. in in the, in the um, obviously in the casino was like, gosh, at one point was just I thought it had an unbelievable. Well, their place. their cellar is apparently like prolific. Oh, it's huge. Right, it's, it's, and it's, people it's, just it's, don't think about no, even no, going there to no. dine. So part of it is like a it's a chicken egg scenario. You know right. what I mean? Like we've got to have the We've got to have the diner, right? The, and I, I hate the word caliber. We have to have the caliber of diner to go to go to that place to do it. Because I feel like you know, also a restaurant man, dude. Kudos to the people in the restaurant business because, like, well, this has been a year and a half. Oh man, you like, know, if you're still in the game, like, just tip of the hat to you. Yeah, and like, it's so if if you're doing it, man, it's kind of like us talking about the whole political binary opposition thing, <laughs> or like just the approach to culture in general. It's like, 
the lowest common denominator really takes over pretty soon. Like, you're a steakhouse. We got to have Napa Cab. Like, what do 90% of the people walk through here want? They want the biggest, fattest, gnarliest, burliest red wine. Right. No matter what, and fuck what it goes with or not. Right. You know what I mean? And, like, I feel like the culture that's changing, and I definitely feel what's awesome, what's so, so awesome to me is, like, I'm going to make a brash assumption. You and I are very close to being the same age. Mm -hmm. Right? But, like, people 10 years younger than us, man, they're willing to do anything, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that there's there's definitely, and, there's definitely, I think, a desire. Yes, Yeah, absolutely. but they don't necessarily have the pecunia to do it. They don't have the dollars to do it, but they're open-minded in but a I way. But I think that also, it's but, like, awesome. to have, you know, you might not have super deep pockets mm -hmm. at that age, mm -hmm. but if you do have a willingness to sort of go and oh, try yeah. new things, I yeah. think that you can educate yourself oh, with, yeah. like, Let's try this wine. Let's try yeah. that wine. You and I have had the conversation many of the time that there are phenomenal bottles of wine to be had for less than thirty dollars. Yep. You can yeah. sub thirty. Yeah. You can get into some really yeah. good stuff. I, and I think that's a probably pretty good threshold for a for a dollar amount. Right. You know. You know. And you try yeah. different things, uh -huh. and you get a book, and you read, yeah. and you know, and let's try things yeah. out. And you know, one of the things that I really got into with my wife, who obviously, as you know, is like deeply, deeply oh, she into loves wine, it, man. She's really is let's. Okay, we're gonna get this bottle, and do we like it? Do we not? Why do we like yeah. it? And then where does it come from? And what are the certain mm -hmm. characteristics that we like? And those kinds of things. I I have completely geeked out on it entirely. <laughs> and if you knew me ten years ago, if you would have been like, yeah. "Hey, is this dude gonna be in wine in ten years?" You'd be like, "I'll take that bet." No, <laughs> right? But yet here I am, and we're sitting here, and there's a wine rack right next to you, oh, and like yeah. here we go. Yeah. Um. But I also like, and I don't think that you necessarily have to have a super extensive wine list in your restaurant to have a quality wine no. list. No. And, and yeah, people so throw away... So, for example, like, yeah. the original downtown oh, is... Oh, I gotta go. Oh, you gotta go. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. shout out to Craig and Adam. Like, and as far as I'm concerned, best joint in the city. And in no... Like, I love the, I love the combination of really good drinks, really good wine, really good food in a not pretentious atmosphere. Oh, me too. I and love this it. Is, this place is that. It is that embodiment. It is the embodiment of like comfortable quality. The service is excellent. The atmosphere is relaxed. The food is exceptional. And I mean, I've never ever had a bad bite of food or a bad sip of drink there. Um, but also another place that's actually um, I had heard about for a while Hadn't had a chance to get to, but recently we were finally able to sort of make the time to get there, is Mistral, which is down oh, in Bayview. Oh, yeah, yeah, which is in the Avalon Theater. Yes. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been and again, either. Again, yep. small place, six, I think, seven tables tops. Oh, wow. Very good menu. Not yeah. an extensive menu. Supremely quality Dude. food and an excellent, excellent wine list. People, I think, need to focus on the experience. That's 100%. the thing. 100%. Keep the show yeah. and the frills and the fluff. Like, I am here for the experience of the food, the wine, and the dining. Oh, dude, I love, and this word gets gets overused, but, like, when it's curated, oh, it's the best. Man. Yes. It's the best. Because it is that. We're here, here's, here's the thing, and this is the actually one of the beauties of the age we live in, and it's a trend I'm starting to see is like we're overwhelmed by the amount of options mm -hmm. we have, especially because, once again, we have a culture, good or bad, 
we we put we place we place a value on quantity. Yep. But but folk your yourself and myself included, kind of part of it, we really want to experience quality. And I think there's a trend of that of 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 really having the having the human interaction as the kids say IRL <laughs> like of of a curated experience of 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 something that's focused. It's what I, it's one of the things I love about like a lot of the wine events I do. It's like, oh man, like no, like I want to do it as much as you want to do it. I just I just want this slice of thing. Like if I go to an Italian restaurant, I don't want to drink I don't want to fucking Sonoma Pinot Noir. I want a goddamn Italian wine. Dude, I was <laughs> you, know, was you know what I mean like or and there's enough culture yes. there within that within and that. And I think that that, that is I, I think that you're seeing a, a, a huge paradigm shift now. I, I do. Where I like, do. I like, love it. It's like you go to that steakhouse and you've never been there before, yeah. and they're going to charge you a pretty penny. But it's it's oh, mm-hmm. it's this it's this whatever steakhouse. They bring out this steak and you eat that steak and you're like, that was such a mediocre steak. Like, yeah. I'm never coming back here. Yep. Like again, like I like the places like show me your culinary integrity. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you say you're a chef. Like, <laughs> I know what I can cook in my kitchen, mm-hmm. which is 10 feet above our heads right now. Yeah. Like, if I'm going to come out here and pay you coin, you better put something on this table that I can't do at home. Otherwise, sure. what's the point of my being here? 100%. Right? And I think especially 100%. there's an interesting thing, too, in the fact that I think a lot of people now have begun to explore you know whether it be from you know covid or anything like that a lot of time at home and they're getting into like oh i'm going to see what i can cook or i'm going to break out that old cookbook and i'm going to experiment with these things or oh and maybe people have an appreciation for what goes on as far as the cooking and now they go out and like oh you know what i used to think this was okay but now i'm not satisfied with this anymore so they have higher expectations or not even expectations requirements just the bar Right, bar. it has the to be this. Actual bar, right? Yeah. And there are other mm-hmm. people who are out there who are like, I don't need to open a fifty-table restaurant. I have four tables. Like, yeah. I opened like this little tiny place, and we have a set menu, mm-hmm. and I believe in supporting my my local producers, mm-hmm. and people are also into that. That's yeah. why you see farmers markets blowing up and things mm-hmm. like that. Whereas people are like, I'm going to support this farm-to-table, or I'm going to support this local producer. And all of a sudden, the quality of the dining experience just goes up yeah. like exponentially. I'm super excited about it because I see it. I see that. Like we've been – and it was funny. You're, you and your – somebody else, you, one of your other friends you interviewed on this. Like I've been – we, my wife and I have been part of the Springdale Farms yeah. CSA. Yep. In Jesus, they're in Plymouth, but we're on like year fifteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but how life. many people even know what a CSA is? Like that's hilarious. I guarantee Community you, community-supported agriculture. <laughs> right, but like you know what I'm saying. You yeah. know what it is, and yeah. I know what it is. And the people in the circles that we roll in. But yeah. you think that most people, if you're like, what's a CSA? I guarantee yeah. you, majority no, wouldn't. No, no, I don't. I don't. But what a shame. And it, what a shame. And like, I mean, God, this could be its own thing. I mean, we just have a podcast all about this. But it's like, I feel like it has. We will. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it has scaled up. You know? no, oh, it has. Seriously, yeah. There, there, this is something just food to talk about as culture is really huge. And I think, man, to me, there's that, that, that. <laughs> That I uh, use the phrase the tipping point. There's like a tipping point where finally, like, like man, I don't know. I always think my kids are ten and five. Yeah. Like, they kind of know quality, man. 
Like there's cheeses. That, there's cheeses they won't eat. But why? Because it's been there day one. Because you taught them. Yeah. That's yep. the key. But but it's like that wasn't there for me. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But, like, but it has. I, it, yes, it comes in somewhere. Yeah. Like, like I remember being like, a little kid and like we went to uh, the grocery store yeah. for whatever, and uh, it was like sample day uh-huh. or, or something like yep. that. My mom made everything at home. Everything was made at home. Oh, like, wow. and so like lucky me, yeah. right? I didn't yeah. know any better. Totally. I was six yeah. years old. Yeah. And we're walking around, and it's me and my younger sister. And um, I, here's this guy, and he's giving out samples. I'm a curious little kid, and I'm like, "What do you got?" And he goes, "Oh, they're spaghettios." Like. I had never had a spaghettio in my life. I had no idea what this guy's talking about. I'm like, what are, what are spaghettios? He's like, oh, it's spaghetti in a can. Uh-huh. Now I've seen my mother make spaghetti like a hundred times. Like, yeah, that's a never. A and I told the guy that. I literally remember. And my mom will tell you this story. Like, she's like, it was one of her favorite like mother moments of her life, right? Where here's a six year old kid looking at this guy dead in the eye, being like, looking at him like he's crazy. Like, spaghetti doesn't come in a can, right? Yeah, exactly right. Like. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, food is food. And, like, what you're selling is, you know what I mean? And, like, when it comes to wine or cheese or beer or food or veggies or or anything, like, the further away from the field or the vine or the – or whatever that you get, you're not getting the – you're not – it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. I'm with you 100%. It's weird, though. It's – what's what's, I feel like where the gap is, and it's with a lot of things in culture, too, it's like – well, here we are, and we have this, and 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 forgive the term, because there is no other term, and I and I don't mean it from like, and, and, fuck, I do mean it in the Marxist sense. <laughs> here we have is this bourgeois, we have this bourgeoisie, yeah, yep. we have this bourgeoisie that's able, that's created a culture and is able to appreciate this thing, and like, and and we're we're upper middle class people, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and and we have this culture of it, but as soon as we try to scale it down, you know, it doesn't work. In this country, or it becomes this diluted, weird, uh, and and I think Guy Ferrari is, I think he's a really awesome guy, by the way. But it, it turns into that. <laughs> well, Where it's it just like, becomes my balls are in your mouth now. It tastes like cheese. You know what I mean? Well, it just it's becomes like, the used car salesman. Yeah, is what it becomes, like, and it just well, like dude. I mean, like there's. That's like that is unfortunately. But like, it's the gateway drug for somebody that's eventually going to be like an amazing culinary person too. Maybe. Maybe yeah. it is. It is one. It is one of many roads that mm-hmm. lead to Rome, but yeah. like I think, you know, if you look at like for example, French wine as being this very sort of aristocratic, highfalutin, mm-hmm. overly regulated, I gotta be by the numbers, like you know, creme de la creme, yeah. and then you know, America is the natural light of of you know beverage options. Sure. I think people are are moving away from that. I think they're realizing 100%. that they don't have to have that. And I think that like you don't have to there doesn't need to be a stereotype of quality. There doesn't need to be sort of a snobbery for for excellence. Yeah. One of my favorite Beautiful. stories. No, well, well put, for sure. A buddy of mine, two of my buddies and I were out in Driggs, Idaho. And if you're out in Driggs, you're only out there for one of two reasons: you're, you're there to hunting. ski, yeah. or you're there to, or yeah, you're there yeah, to fly fish. Fly fish. <laughs> and so uh, we were out, and we did uh, we were fly fishing out on a snake. And we're coming back into town, and uh, the guy that was with us is driving, and we're coming down this like country highway, and there's a building that I thought was abandoned. It was just so dilapidated. And he goes, "You guys see that over there? Yeah." He goes, "That is." the best food you'll ever eat in that place. And we were all like, what? 
I mean, it looked like it looked yeah. like no one had been in that place for 50 years. And he goes, there's three guys, they're all friends. He's like, they're always stoned. He's like, <laughs> all they want to do is ski and fly fish. He's like, somehow they're also the greatest, like they make the best breakfast you've ever had in your life. And what they do is, he's like, they don't have a set menu. They only take cash. He's like, he's like, they don't even have hours. He's like, they just post on social media. We're going to be open the next four days from these hours. And you show up and whatever they're making is what you're eating. And he goes, and the place is packed. Oh, for sure. Packed. He goes, he's like, every table is filled and there's a line out the Mm -hmm. door every minute that those guys are open and they make enough money to go skiing or fishing for the next two weeks, and then they just disappear again. And they had been doing this racket for, I mean, I guess apparently a couple of years, right? Yeah. And I'm like, right? And like, if your yeah. product is that good, then you can make up your own rules. And I love the idea oh, that yeah, people yeah, are sure. bucking the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't have to play by your rules. I don't have to do what yeah. you say. I'm going to have it my way, and my way is going to be so good that you're going to line up outside my place for my way. And people are starting to do that. Dude, for sure. And it's like, it's always, you know, like, we try to define what the human <laughs> experience is all the time. I always think real adults know quality when they see it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, but you know what? The whole, but but you know what? That's very telling because yeah. the lack of that shows you how few real adults there are, right? Exactly. Right. But sometimes they experience it, and it and it is it is it is it's it's revelatory. It's yeah. Revel, it's revelatory, dude. Like, I mean, I even think like I, I this is I'm almost ashamed to admit this. Like, I finally made like I made like polenta from yeah. like from like I mean I added like I didn't add, do the greatest cheese, but I did like uh-huh. with amazing butter yeah you know and from scratch and yeah. like whole milk yeah. like great milk and then i i added like like the sartori like whatever yeah, whatever she, the cheese was was it was it was a b plus cheese okay but like finally and then you know we had it and, and it was just like holy shit <laughs> yeah right? and it was like this is like the plain this is like peasant food in the most basic sense of the word but it was the, the best so food satisfying. is peasant food. And you know what? So satisfying, That's the man. thing, too, is, again, yeah. food, <laughs> qua- really, and not just, not not fancy food, mm. but quality mm. food. When you eat it, it is, like, one of the most ridiculously underused terms is soul food. All food can be soul food. Food that nourishes yeah. your soul. I don't really care where you're from or what culture or anything like that. Like that food that you remember having at whoever's table that first time that you sat down, you put that spoonful of whatever in your mouth, and every part of your brain was like, yes. Yeah. Right? That's 100%. what food should be. Whatever it is for you. 100%. Whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and I like, you know, Soul food, like I love, like lobster, which is now ooh, lobster is so expensive. Yeah. It used to be, yeah, yeah it used to be trash. Yeah, it used to be trash. They would throw it away, right? It was in the last, yes, in the last one hundred years, that was yeah. the case. And now you got to pay through the nose for it. It just shows how ridiculous people are, uh, yeah, all the totally way around. The whole, you know taste, what I mean? Taste is completely taste is ephemeral, man. Well, and not only that, yeah. mm-hmm. but like. It also shows you that, like, oh, well, or we're val- values ephemeral. We're gonna tell you that this is fancy, and you're gonna pay more yeah. for it. You're like, again, th- 
think for yourself. Like, mm-hmm. for God's sake, don't let anybody else lead you by the nose. Like, all of a sudden, the first day this is trash, and now you're going to pay $50 for it? Are you sure? Based on what? It's the same damn thing. Like, like if you can't appreciate just the utter, like, preposterousness oh, of all of that, so, you know what I mean? It's so egregious, dude. And it's like, I mean, I don't want to... This this is a whole other this is a whole other <laughs> can of worms, but it's um oh dude, shit man oh man uh oh man sorry I'm I'm going down the German idealist thing <laughs> and we're getting to Hegel but uh oh man fucking Marx ha- Marx actually has a term for this okay which it's, is it's it's um it's uh uh commodity fetishization okay. Commodity fetishization, that's what he calls it. It's the idea, like, it's like the whole um, Belgian tulip idea. Yes. You're familiar with this. Like, yes. It's just that. It's like this thing really isn't worth anything. Diamonds. It's diamond, di- diamonds. Diamonds. Dude, diamonds are perfect. Perfectly. Diamond, perfect example of it. Absolute commodity fetishization. Utter, utterly worthless. Utterly stupid, dude. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's the craziest thing. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. I bought my wife a nice ring. But, like, me too. I, yeah, I almost choked oh, when I had to do it. And you're just like, you're like, for this shiny little rock, like, the, when he told me how much that you wanted that for that thing, like, I, like, I was like, I almost flipped out in the store. And when you realize <laughs> that, like, that what, that there, there are vaults and vaults and, like millions and billions of these things just laying around and what they do is they restrict their like yeah like their, De Beers controls yes it. yeah and exactly. they restrict their yep. flow to the market to drive the price mm-hmm. up and this that that 200 years ago there was never a thing and now oh. all of a sudden like I love those commercials like a guy should spend so and so many months <laughs> like are you out of your fucking <laughs> mind are you sure like it's commodity fetishization absolutely man. Yeah. but you know what the funny thing is is that again the onus falls on we yeah. as the consumer like 100 man you went along with it like we all went along with it like you know what you and i are equally guilty we we we, we like we're like all right i guess this is what we're gonna do because <laughs> you know what i'm saying like like i've drawn some lines in yeah. the sand but i was like oh, you know dude. what like first of all i never thought i was getting married to begin with so when i found the right one i was like all right we'll do this dance Okay, you want that ring? Oh like, yeah, exactly. We're, I'm only doing this once, and I've told yeah. her as much. I was like, "You lose that, you're never getting another one." But like, but still, <laughs> the entire thing is just crazy. Oh, dude, it's it's it's. A, I, I got actually a hand-me-down ring, which mm-hmm. is really awesome. Hey, thanks to my mother-in-law for getting divorced. Um, <laughs> but then we made it into another ring. But still, it's it's crazy, dude. Isn't that funny though? But let's like we're having this conversation, right? And like that's a total tenet of. Once again, man, and eventually I'm going to go home. Cause <laughs> but, you know, this is one of those things, like, if I never would have been open to the idea of, like, like Marxism, right? I never would have understood that as a concept or that other people figured out what to call that. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't my own idea. Right. Somebody, you know, some dude, some dude in the 18... 40s came <laughs> came up with it, right? You know, which is why, which is why, well, 1850s, 1860s, but anyway, he came up with it. You know what I mean? And it's not just me; it's not my individual thinking. It's like I might not even agree with what he agrees with now, but we have some overlap. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. You know I what think, I mean? Like, I think the I, yeah. more that you, I think, I think it's important to expose yourself to as much as you possibly oh, can. Man. And then to draw upon those experiences, oh, yeah. and from and from that, and what's in your gut, to form your own opinion, and to be willing yeah. to sort of stand and defend that opinion, despite what's popular and despite what's conventional. Like if you know in your heart 
that what you believe is what you believe, then, you know, put your guns in your holsters and walk out there on the line, man, and, and be willing to fight for what you believe in. There has to be, you have to have something to define yourself with. And I think that that's a big problem in the world right now is the fact that people are lost for a sense of identity and a sense of purpose. And they're just sort of out there sort of flopping around like on a fish on a dock without, without a cause. Without, and people want a team. People want to be like, I'm with this group. I believe it. And they don't even necessarily think or take the chance or take the time to really evaluate the platform of whatever group it is that they say they're aligning themselves with. And you're going to get into some pretty deep waters with that. Like you, if you say you're with a crew, you really better know oh, what that yeah. crew stands yeah, yeah, yeah. for because everybody else is going to judge you based well, on that affiliation. But th this is, this is what's so interesting to me. And, and recently like kind of like going back into kind of like, like who are, you know, what, the term existentialism gets thrown around, but that like through that existence precedes essence. Yep. It's up to you and I to figure out what, what, what is of value to, to us. Mm -hmm. We don't just start with it. It's not like a predetermined. Correct. Described thing. And, and what's interesting to me, it's like, as we, um, <laughs> This is so just like sometimes it feels like freshman year college, you know, like we're doing freshman year college stuff. But in a way, in a way, we are, you know. what I mean, but like more people need to discuss this. It's There's the beauty not, of it. it, but that's not a yeah. bad thing. No, it's not a bad like, thing. That's at all. the thing it's too. Not, is yeah. like shit got way too stuffy. Yeah, you know. Oh, completely. Like, it should definitely yeah. be a Tuesday night. Yeah, drinking wine, drinking wine, drinking wine with your boys thing, yeah. in the basement, yeah, 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 hashing yeah. some shit yeah. out, like a hundred percent. But on the real, like the the folks that really thought about, you know, thought about this and like from an existentialist standpoint is like your, there's a extreme value in doubt. Too, oh, for sure. Too. Meaning like, like, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, like if you're going to go out there, like, like, you know, the really free person is the one that knows that they could potentially be wrong about all of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that there's, there's like, the the when i get really two things when i get really super down in the dumps that's the that it's weird because so many people will be like this is this nihilistic viewpoint or like it's the thing i found like through kind of this existentialist philosophy it's like when i remember that like like no man there's 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 a beauty and a living i can do through doubt and embracing the idea that i could be wrong about all of it is actually fucking freeing man in a crazy great way man and also the like, fact that none of it is for sure that's yeah. the thing none yeah. of it's for sure i had a physics yeah. teacher when i was in high school and he walked up in front of the class this one time and he had a tennis ball in his hand and i, I don't know how old you are as a junior in high school i think maybe like 17, 17 16 17 and uh he goes when i drop when i let go of this mm. ball is it going to fall to the ground or is it going to shoot to the ceiling? Mm -hmm. And we're all like, is he serious? We're like the ground, mm -hmm. obviously. And yeah. He lets it go. And of course it falls to the ground, picks the ball back up, holds it, asks us the exact same question. He does this like three or four times. And by the fourth time, we're like, what 
are we doing here, man? Yeah. Like, like, what's happening? And so he does it, and he asks us a fifth time. And he goes, after the end, he's about to let it go, and he goes, let me ask you this now. He's like, do you think that's what's going to happen? Or do you know yeah. that that's what's going to happen? Yep. And everyone said, we knew that was going to happen. And he said, no. You think, think yep. that's what's going to happen. 100%. You yeah. think that's what's going to happen based on your anecdotal experience <laughs> because every other time you've watched it fall to the floor. He's yeah. like, but there is nothing that says that when I open my hand that this ball can't shoot to the ceiling. And that one put my whole world on its ear. Again, if you oh, stop you, and man. actually take the time to listen and think about what people are saying, he's right. He's right. There's nothing that says that tomorrow I'm going to walk out and the sky's going to be blue. There's nothing that says yeah. that, right? And it's just our experience but your experience is not absolute truth and you have to be willing to understand the tenuousness of your own experience and have the willingness to say maybe tomorrow is going to be different or maybe i'm wrong and if you're willing to do that it opens up so many doors that provide like this infinite richness to the tapestry of what could be your life oh, yeah and to sort of circle back to what you were saying as far as the binary thing like you're boring if you are binary you're boring it is you are a boring person and you know what my life is too short to spend it with boring people i need <laughs> to go to talk to people that are interesting you yeah. know what no artist rock star, author, anybody that anyone ever cared to talk about was binary. Nobody. Nobody. Fair. Nobody. Fair. Yeah. They were all out Fair. there on the fringe. They were all out there pushing the envelope. They were all out there asking the hard questions or seeing yeah. about the what ifs. And we live in this world now where everyone's huddled up in their little tiny boxes, mm. you're like afraid to come out. Like we live in a world of cowards. You're a coward. If you're not willing to step out over the threshold of what you think you know and experience something new, go sit on the bench. <laughs> Just go sit on the bench. Like yeah, man. the big kids are going to come to play. Yeah. I mean, man, even Ho Chi Minh got some of his best ideas from Thomas Jefferson. I mean, everybody, you know I mean? everybody like, draws like, on yeah. everybody. Yeah, for and sure, like, dude. Certain political yeah. ideologies, yeah. like you can agree with them, you cannot agree with them. Mm -hmm. They have value, they don't have yeah. value, whatever. Yeah. You know, like an argument can be made on both sides of the coin in almost any conversation. Yeah. And I think that people just need to at least begin to, I'm not saying what the end result of that conversation is, but we need to begin having yeah. it. Yeah, having it. Yeah. Because like... For sure. Right now, you know. Yeah, it's not, it's not happening, man. But like you said, like <laughs> that, that whole thing, you know, and, and to make a very sort of bizarre leap, but I'm going to make this as we sort of close up here, is like the willingness of perhaps our generation, and, and forget the age, the younger generation, yeah. older, whatever, but the willingness to begin to sort of explore new things when it comes to food or wine or drink. I think shows a glimmer of hope to the willingness to like open your mind. Yeah. And if you're willing to open your mind to those ideas, maybe you're willing to open your mind to other ideas and maybe just maybe that gets us out of this mess. Oh, there he is. So 
Anyway, that's, all right, brother. That's a good place, man. <laughs> dude, I had such a good time. Yeah, we got to do this oh, again. Yeah. All right, For sure, man. Beautiful. Right. Tell people so. Tell people yeah. first of all where they can come find you. Oh yeah, and sure. if they, how they can get in touch with you. So I am well. Once again, I'm Nate Norfolk, and I am the wine spirits director at Ray's Wine and Spirits on 89th and North in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. Um, hey man, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the information age. We're easy to find. <laughs> it is the one and only raise wine and spirits. Yeah. Oh, I'm the there. Greatest, like, the greatest. Oh man. Thanks so much, dude. It was, it was, it was absolutely a pleasure. Deep dive. You guys got to go, go, go find Nate, go check this place out. It is, uh, it definitely guys, if you're here, uh, in Milwaukee, it's a must. And if you're passing through, um, it, it, you just got to go check it out. It's yeah. one of the greatest places to go over walk into. Uh, you guys do online if people want to reach do. out we, online. We have a, How does yeah, that... yeah. So it's it's um it's raisewine.com. Easy enough. And like we have, God, man, we have about five five to six thousand wines right now. There, you, if you guys yeah. cannot find it at this yeah. place, you're gonna be hard pressed to find it. Yeah. It is an amazing place. And it's curated. <laughs> it is. It is for sure curated. But call, talk to him, yeah. and like he'll point you in the right yeah, direction. Yeah, wonderful, man. And as far as us, uh, again, uh, if you want to email us, uh, modernsavagenation at gmail.com and the website, uh, modernsavagenation.com. So, uh, brother, I appreciate you, mm. and we'll be doing it again soon.